You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm excited today to talk to Mark Banfield about value-based selling and specifically laying the foundation for it. Mark, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm really excited to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. Mark, before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, I mean, if I go right back in the day, I did a geography degree. Um, And the reason I did geography is because I just liked geography and I didn't know what to do. Um, So I went and did geography. But whilst doing geography, I got into an area called GIS, Geographical Information Systems, and uh, and found that interesting. And it was the early stages of internet mapping and, and GIS. And um, and that got me to do a master's degree in that subject. And then I got into my first job at a company called Map Info. And I, d- I didn't ever think that I would get into sales, um, but I got into it. And it was just, it was kind of an obvious place for me to go into. You know, I wasn't I wasn't particularly gifted very technically. Uh, I couldn't code very well or anything. So um I went into a commercial sales role and um and absolutely loved it and I've never looked back since and every job I've ever had since there has been built off of that early foundation of going in and effectively being a a sales development rep and hitting the phones and making cold calls. Fantastic. And uh, you're the CRO at Logic Monitor right now and can you tell us a little bit about how your role is structured because every company somehow is like structures the CRO role differently. That's right, and 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 you know so, um, and it's changed actually over the over the years. But effectively, when I came into the business was about three years ago, um, close to three years ago. And um, Logic Monitor, when Vista acquired the business, had built a really great company um, that was rel- still relatively small, um, and and have really focused on building a great product. I mean, the foundation of the company was built around building an excellent technology platform, SaaS-based infrastructure monitoring, found a really um, nice market, which is selling is really selling into the enterprises, selling into MSPs to allow them to monitor their critical infrastructure so they can deliver fantastic digital experiences. And, um, and I would say that the go-to-market area was something where Vista saw an opportunity um, to expand that dramatically, and that was a big part of the sort of value creation plan and the investment thesis. So I came into the business and initially um, my remit was to take on everything that was go to everything that related to the go to market system. So sales, pre-sales, uh, marketing, channel, um, revenue operations, etc. Um, now as we've matured and grown, you get to a point as a business where you really do need a CMO. Uh, and we were lucky to hire a great CMO just recently called Ryan Cam who joined the business. And and so I don't have marketing with me anymore. Um, but obviously, we work very, very closely, the sales and the marketing side. So so right now, my role is covering all of our global sales 
um, and then pre-sales and then um, sales operations, revenue operations, as well as channel. And channel is a very big part of our business. So um, there's, there's, there's a, yeah, it's becoming a more complex business. We have multiple products now. We sell into multiple different buyer personas. So all of the different sort of architecture of the, of the go-to-market organization to enable the enablement of the teams as well as the selling of those different products to different parts of the organization is, is a big part of the role now. Sometimes wonder, rather than calling it a chief revenue officer, if you actually just call it a, a chief business officer, that may actually be a much better description of the role because as you are expanding multiple product lines and thinking about like what does the future of the company look like, the CRO is really the person responsible for all of the the revenue-related functions, but those are all business decisions. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's an interesting it's sort of come about, it's become a very popular title in recent yes. years. And uh, certainly, you go back three years ago when I first started this job, and I'm, I'm English, as you can tell from my accent, and it wasn't yep. as popular in the UK, that title. And people yep. would say, did you move into some finance function? Are you in Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's um, And I think the reason to not call it just sales or chief sales officer is because, to your point, I mean, it, it, it it's broader than just, the sales function. Yes. So, um, yes. yeah. Yes, and, and and before the CRO became popular, the, the revenue operations were really started when the deal closed. And and that's, that's where right. the whole process kicked off, all the way to collections and uh, and uh, some finance-related functions after that. That's right, exactly. All right, let's dive into value-based selling. Uh, yeah. We have been on a tour of learning in this podcast around what does the future sales organizations look like? and But before we get there, we have to appreciate where we have come from and then how do seasoned leaders build, maintain, motivate their enterprise sales functions? Because as you, you may have already seen, the mid-market selling and SMB selling uh, kind of all went back to like marketing-led growth, which is really like what people call product-led growth, right? And so, 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 so we're there, right? And then enterprise selling basically went through a little bit of inside sales uh, detour through the last like twelve or eighteen months. But understanding what value-based selling is important, and so wanted to learn from how you built things and from your lessons learned. So let's let's just kick this off there. Sure. Yeah, happy to, and and I mean, I mean, you know, um, it's a it's a broad area to talk through, and there's a lot of different aspects to it. Um, I think when I joined Logic Monitor, what what I tried to do is understand um, the sort of fundamentals about the business. I mean, we had a we had a great product that was very sticky. We had a good gross retention, but we had this kind of approach where we were, you know, the company. Had, had grown from, from from a startup and had sold into lots of different places, different segments, different areas. And I think one of the things we tried to understand is where, where's our sweet spot. I mean, it starts with you want to you want your sellers spending time focused where they can get the best return. I mean, one of the great things about our company is that we can sell to absolutely anybody, and that's actually one of the real challenges because you don't want to try and chase everybody. You want to chase where you can get the best return. So a big part of our initial you know, I look at the. I sort of look at our go-to-market in Logic Monitor, sort of in three phases. The phase one was about building a foundation for our go-to-market system. Um, you know, and, and it, 
and, and so that started with segmentation design. So it was really analyzing where we won, where where have we been, where have we done well, where have we had customers that have had that, that have shown us that they've got the greatest return, the greatest value. What is the differentiation that we've provided? What's the what's the use cases that we solve? Yeah, what's the real impact on those organizations? What it what does it do for those organizations? Not just from a technical standpoint, but also from a executive priority standpoint. So like if you're talking about a major financial services institution, it's really about understanding like what's the impact that you drive at, at the top of that business. And what in a boardroom, what does Logic Monitor do for that organization? Well, you know, when we started to really understand like the value of of, of Logic Monitor. And of course, that impacts then all of the way that you think about not only how you design the go-to-market system, but also about how you start to think about messaging, positioning, how you train your sales reps to pitch. And we'll come on to that a little bit of that in a minute. So that was the first part of the foundation of phase one. Also within our phase one of our building our go-to-market system was understanding you know, the kind of sellers that we needed. So looking at the ideal profile, what kind of sellers do we require What's their profile? Where do they come from, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and so that was a key part. Another thing was around sort of sales operations, revenue operations. You know, it's about building territories, designing the way that you want to think about designing territories for for scale. So you know, you know, when you only have twenty sellers, you're of course building territories a certain way. Well, you want to build out a plan to how do we build territories when we have a hundred sellers or two hundred sellers and. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it was about the spanner control, the, you know, putting in the, the right kind of systems and the operational capabilities. Um, and then a, another major part was around sales enablement um, and building out a, a boot camp and a, and a kind of and a cadence for how we can train sellers and educate sellers and, and coach them uh, so that we can get the best return. So I would say the phase one was about those things. And the last thing to mention about that first phase was putting in a value-based selling system. So a lot of those things I just mentioned were really uh, precursors to understand our value so that we could then build a value-based selling system, uh, which which maybe I can talk about now in a bit of detail. Yep, um, yep. So, but before we dive in, how many people are in your org now? We have uh, about 800 people in the organization now. So, um, yeah, fairly, um, fairly sizable. And... Um, and we were about 200 people when I joined the company three years ago. So, you know, pretty pretty dramatic growth. Well, great. All right. Let's kick uh, dive into value-based selling. Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, the way I think about value selling is, first of all, I don't think there's any other type of selling. Um, I think I think you could just call it selling. It's about, it's about linking what you do um, to, um, to, the, to the real value it provides to that organization. Um, and, and of course, uh, and, and being able to sell around that and having a framework for how you, uh, how you describe value, how you prove value and how you uh, demonstrate value. So um, there's sort of, I say the foundational elements to building a value-based selling system. One is around understanding your value drivers and your unique differentiators. So as I was talking about earlier, it's like, you know, what are the ways that we create value for customers? How do we uniquely deliver that to them? How do we differentiate? The first thing is around really understanding that. And of course, that then plays into all of your pitch decks, and all of your uh, all of your demos and all the things you have to do in order to really carve out your uniqueness 
during the sales process. The second foundational element is around calculating value and return on investment. So, you know, how do how do you help customers understand that value? I mean, one of the problems, of course, when you're selling a highly technical product like this is you can get bogged down into just features and functions and, you know, a list, you know, a sort of shopping list of do you do these things and the competitor does or doesn't, as opposed to focusing on and asking the question why. One of the things we talk to our salespeople a lot about is like, just ask why. When someone says, well, do you do this? Do you do that? Why is that important? And again, they'll say, oh, we have to do that because the other product does it. But what does it do for you? Why is that important? What does it do for the business? Does it save you money? Does it make you money? Does it create more? Uh, does it drive more um, kind of better customer service, customer experience, et cetera? So the second area is about calculating value and ROI. And the third thing is around processes and tooling. So you have to have a very standardized process and you have to train people to that process and you have to and and you have to stick to that process and um and then and of course you need the right tooling in place to do that the tooling for you know uh, enablement for training people the tooling such as CRM for how you track things um as well as the tooling to drive what we call BVA which is business value assessment which is really all around how do you start to quantify the value of what it is you're providing. So so those are the three foundational areas. And I can maybe walk through each of them. Um, what we chose very early on is we put in place a selling system, a value-based selling system called MedPick, uh, which is fairly well known, I think. I mean, you could use any of them, really. I mean, I mean, I grew up really learning a, a value-based selling system called TAS, Target Account Selling, uh, which yep. is a different but kind of similar concept. But we've used MedPick, and the reason you have to really embrace that and, and, and live and breathe it is you have to get the whole organization. And when I say the whole organization, I really mean the entire organization from HR, you know, from, from product to customer success to the engineering teams. The whole organization has to live and breathe the vernacular and the language of how you talk about value. Um, and, and the MedPick process is actually a really good way of structuring sales processes and it allows you to everyone to start to talk in the same language so medpick stands for and i won't go for every bit the m is metrics uh the e is economic buyer the, the d is decision process and so on and so forth and and of course it's about having everyone talk in that language and know and and really adhere to that process so that's the so that let's start there that's the underlying foundations if it's useful, maybe I can go through some of the kind of like so in a bit more detail, specifically what we implement in terms of the specific things that we put in place. Yeah, that would be great because, you know, a lot of us leaders focus on the organizational processes yeah. versus the seller's experience. And, and so much of this is about the seller's experience because if you really, really boil it down – to enterprise, why enterprise deals are won, it's because the experience that the seller provided to the prospect was far superior than the competition. That's right. Obviously, there's product differentiation as well. But if the prospect had fun, they were it. It was it feel uh, there was camaraderie, there was trust built, right? Look, all these things, right? And so, where does all that stuff come from? It comes from the seller's experience 
it, while, while you're creating what the organization needs, right? So if you can dive into a little bit of the specifics of, well, here's how we went through it, but why was the, how did we maintain this uh, and enhance the seller's experience? Absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the best, the, the most successful salespeople for us are the people that do create the best experiences um, to the people they're selling to. Um, and, and, and very often it's because they follow this playbook that we built. Yeah. And our playbook's very detailed. And, you know, we tell people all the time, if you follow the playbook and, you know, and the part of selling, selling is a science, absolutely is a science. You can absolutely, um, impact the outcome by following the science of selling and, and using this kind of sales methodology, sales process. But it's also an art as well. And of course, the art part is really where you're talking about there, about the, the, the experience that the seller provides. Yeah, they yes. can follow the science, but they've got to put their own kind of flair and personality into it to drive uh, differentiation to how they're running the sales process. So, yeah, so let's jump into it. I mean, the, the sort of the journey that we went on was around sort of four things. It was about putting the right tools in place, the right training, the right inspection, and the right repetition. So, the first part of that was around documenting and codifying our value playbook. So we actually got very prescriptive. We created a thing called the Book of Pain. So we really uh, we really went through and understood specific pain points that we solve and then documented how we solved those pain points. And then, yeah, we really trained our sales organization on understanding that so they can talk to that in detail, but they can also then demonstrate that in the product when they get into that part of the, of the sales process. Um, the foundation of MedPick is all built around something called three whys, which I think is relevant to anyone selling anything. And it's the three whys are why buy anything, why buy logic monitor, and why buy now. And we very often start and quiz salespeople all the time on yeah, how well do you understand the three whys. And you know, it's interesting because if you can't answer those three questions very accurately and in detail, you very often find there isn't a deal or there is a, certainly not a chance to win that deal. Um, so the three whys is something that we continually go back to. It's something that we continually use through the entire process. Uh, and and, and that's, that's the foundation to MedPick, which is the sales methodology. And we built that into Salesforce. So the sales reps actually fill that in as they go through Salesforce. They sit with their managers. They go through... Um, they go through uh, the process of sort of like discussing their deals and doing a deal review, and they can and they can update and they we actually score the um, the quality of their med pick process, so they actually get a score against that, so that we can then you know kind of put a, a value on how well that they've got that mapped out. So the med pick and three Ys has, has been a key um, a key thing. The 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 other thing that we've done was really invest in building out a first meeting deck or, or the pitch deck. And that was a cross-functional collaboration between many people in product, uh, customer success, uh, marketing, obviously, sales, um, as well as our executive team to really build out a first-class uh, pitch deck. And then, and then what you have to do, of course, is really get people to learn that pitch deck. So one of the things we did at our sales kickoff is we provided the pitch deck. We trained everyone on it at the beginning of sales kickoff. And then on the last day, we tested everyone. We had the whole organization, the whole sales organization go through and we tested them and we videoed them. And um, 
and we scored them. We had a panel in each room, and it was a it was a hell of a day because it went on, and we had about you know eighty people to test. But we tested everyone, and what we wanted them to do is learn the stories, to learn the the learn the examples, the case studies, to so that they could to rolls off the tongue. So they have a very they have a very good way of being able to pitch it, and then we could talk to them about their style and their approach. And of course, these are all foundational to value selling because it starts there, right? I mean, you you have to really start selling the value and understanding and portraying the value very early on in the sales process. Um, the next thing we did was really um, build a strong cadence. So the cadence, I think, is is critical. So we actually publish a almost like a document, uh, which we're going to update heading into next year now. But like um, each year, we sort of publish the document of this is our cadence. There's a Monday um, forecast, which is done across every team. There's a deal stand-up that's done every Monday as well. So each region runs their own deal stand-up, and the leader for that region has the whole sales organization on the call and all the sales engineers on the call, and they'll pick deals at random, and they'll bring up the deal sheet, the med pick process, and they'll ask questions about the three whys and the med pick and ask them, okay, well, you've said this person's a coach in your deal. You've ticked that, ticked that box in med pick. Explain to me why they're a coach. How can you demonstrate to me that they're a coach? And and what that's about doing is about creating a meritocracy and, and accountability because the reality is, is that salespeople don't want to be um, embarrassed in front of their peers. So what you tend to find is people really embrace the methodology and they come to those Monday stand-ups and they're very on top of their deals and they're ready to talk about it. And it's actually become something people really enjoy. People like the, the sales reps will actually ask each other questions and they'll start to say, well, hang on a minute, you said you've got metrics um, covered off well, but you've only got these metrics. What about this? What about that? So um, that's absolutely uh, critical. Um, the coaching sessions are very important. The other thing we do is a thing called the Friday email. So on a Friday, we have every single sales rep send in an email. We've actually just moved it to Slack now, uh, where they send into Slack sort of the performance that they've done for that week as well as um, sort of key updates. And, and yeah, that created some pushback at first because people feel like, you know, it's um, a little bit onerous to have people email in like that. But it's actually for the, the benefit of the sales rep. It's about a moment of reflection on the week as to how have you performed against the, the metrics that you're required to do for that week and how are you performing against some of the fundamentals of, of, of each of the deals you're working on. Um, and then the last thing to mention is the the sales process. Um, so we talked about the methodology, which is MedPick, but we've we've got a very um, a, a very clear sort of um, gating process in the CRM where you move things from SQO, sales qualified opportunity, through to POV, which is a proof of value, and there's and there's very clear expectations about what's to be done at every stage. So when you go into a POV, there's certain criteria that you need to do to move it to POV. The POV is always two weeks long. The POV always has success criteria. The POV always has a playback that's done through the POV. So when you're running through a proof of value with a customer and you're demonstrating, which just so you're clear, a proof of value is effectively a detailed, like a proof of concept. And what you're doing is actually testing the product in their environment, on their inv- on their devices and on their infrastructure. And one of the things we do as we go through that is start to capture value. And, it, and, it, and the value will be things like you'll look at the before, 
the current state or the before state and then the after state of what, what the impact is from Logic Monitor. And as you're going through that proof of value, you're capturing those value points and you're starting to quantify how impactful it is and you're starting to play that back. And we literally have sales reps that do a, almost like a daily playback on the POV. They say, this is the things we achieved today. We tested these five things and here's the value that it provided for you. Here was the before state. Here's what the after state will be with Logic Monitor. And what you're doing in that sales process and in that POV process is you're really building champions because you're really educating them on the product and they start to become you know huge fans of the product. But you're also making their job easier because what you're doing is you're actually building their business case as you go through it. And that's the and that's the part which is the last part to talk about, which is the BVA, which is the business value assessment. And the business value assessment is is um is effectively as you go through that proof of value, you start to build that um that um th- those metrics, those kind of like numbers that help you understand the real ROI. That's why we can be so sure as to say like a six six month payback and a four times ROI in 12 months because we've done it so often to so many customers, we've seen the impact that it can have on their business. Fantastic. And I want to pause for one second and double down on this uh, concept of accountability. Yeah. And every time it's come up on this podcast, there's almost always some sort of a, a not the best positive connotation of it. Right. And so, so, but 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 to simplify accountability, and I, I'm, I'm I'm diving down in this uh, into this because the seven thousand people that listen to this thing, the concept of accountability has to be created and shared and internalized in a positive way, and the way you break it down is by introducing and coaching around systems thinking. Yeah, and 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 because. A lot of salespeople really, really, really focus on or use their own personalities and their own way and style of selling. They, the systems thinking almost always takes a back seat. But, but the thing is, the, the way to actually explain this to people is, is that the systems thinking is actually the foundation and the creative thinking is actually layered on top of it. It's really, really important because when we talk about accountability, it almost always leads into a conversation that one person had with the other person where the other person was told what they missed. And that's yeah. actually not it, right? The, the thing is, is, is if the systems thinking is introduced and people spend time on explaining and sharing how to develop and internalize and and practice and get really good at systems thinking, then the other pieces that we're talking about will take care of themselves. And the analogy to that is, uh, uh, not the analogy, but the, but the other way to think about it would be design thinking, where you're actually uh, looking for a problem and trying to figure out how the, the best way to solve it. Systems thinking just allows the sales professional to, to become really, really good and grounded in the way that they're going to create this experience for the prospect. That's right. No, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, as you called it, it's foundational. Because, I mean, ultimately, what do you want when you're building a business that's growing quickly? You want repeatability. You want, you want to hire, actually want to hire the same kind of people with the same kind of skill sets, train them in the same way, and have them perform in the same way. I mean, that's that's really what you're trying to achieve. And one of the ways you do that, of course, is to 
have everyone follow the same process and the same, as you call it, the, the same system for how they sell. Um, and of course, yes, I mean, the reality is, is that you, as we said earlier, the art part, personality part comes through very clearly because that will help um, drive their uh, differentiation through the actual sales process themselves. So, so yeah, I mean, it, I think it is absolutely foundational. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, the reality is, is that no one likes metrics. No one likes necessarily following prescriptively. I actually think we've got to a point people do love it. I think people like the process. They like following the system that we've got. Um, and because I think they see that it works. I mean, and it does work. And um, and if you and, and I do think it comes down to having your sales management and your sales leaders really bought in. I mean, we were fortunate. We um, used an organization called Force Management. Um, you should probably get on your podcast, actually. That, um, uh, a guy called John Kaplan, who is who's the main guy there, uh, who train around this whole MedPick process, and and they're phenomenal. I mean, like, I mean, he's phenomenal, and people just love his style of training. And you know, and training needs to be seen as a as something that's just you could you know, people embrace it when they really feel empowered from it and energized from it. It's about creating energy. So. I mean, look, in the end, what we're talking about here is it all comes down to culture. I mean, you yes. need a culture. Yep. Um, and, and the culture is everything. You, you get accountability through creating a culture of accountability. And it's not about um, how, you know putting a stick up to people or anything like that. It's about creating an environment where people push each other. I mean, I'm a big sports fan. And, um, yeah, and I've always thought sales is something that's quite similar to sports. I mean, you think about selling. I mean, you know, you have to do the fundamentals, do them very well, just like training for rugby or football or something. Yep. Um, and it's about belief and it's about passion. It's about energy. It's about drive. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things I always talk about to our sales organization regularly is, yeah, the All Blacks, the uh, uh, All Blacks New Zealand rugby team. Are one of the, one, they are the most successful sporting franchise ever um, of any sports team, of any sport anywhere in the world. And, they got a higher win rate than anyone. Uh, and the foundation to the All Blacks is their culture. And they have this system. It's very different, of course, to a go-to-market system, but they have this system, this operational model as to how they work. And uh, one thing I talk about is that they have a thing called sweeping the sheds, which is very exact. What they do is every single time they play, whether whether they play in the World Cup final or whether it's a regular match, a friendly match on a Sunday or whatever it might be, Every single player comes back into the dressing room afterwards and goes through the process of the ritual of actually cleaning up after themselves and sweeping up their space in the changing room and cleaning up. And it's about creating that meritocracy that people are all in it together and you've all, you're all accountable to each other. And I think that's what the hallmark of great teams is when you have that. Um, and, and, and the way you do that, I think, in, for, to bring that into a world of go-to-market and sales is – you very clearly structure and and define the, the way that you want people to operate and the expectations you have. You train people with energy and excitement as to how they can best use the go to market system that you've set up, and then you and then you you hold them accountable. But they actually hold each other accountable because people are bought in. So yeah, I think that's important. And as as we move to the second half of the uh, or maybe the the fourth quarter of the, yeah. the, the, the podcast. Uh, the, so what are some of the lessons that you've taken away from this journey of yours 
from going from 200 people to 800 people in your organization? Um, you know, it, there's there's a number of lessons. I mean, one of the things I think I was told um, um, sort of early on in this journey by by another great um, go-to-market leader um, was that, you know, one of the things you have to be careful of is not to have too much new on new on new. When you're scaling quickly, you know, the challenge is you brought new managers, new reps, new SEs, um, new territory leaders. And, and the reality is, is that if there's too much new, it becomes a challenge because everyone's learning for the first time. You kind of need people dotted around in teams that have been there and have the experience. Um, and, and of course, it's great to bring in people with new experiences. That's partly why you do it. But you want some people around them that can help them um, sort of um, evangelize and understand the way that the, the sort of culture of doing things and the system of which way the way we do things. So we've tried to do that. We haven't always got it right, but you know it's tough when you're building new markets and new countries. But we really try to um, parachute people in to help sort of drive the right processes, the right sort of operational cadence, the right kind of education around how we use certain things, what we do. Um, so that's one. That's certainly one takeaway. Um, other takeaways really are. Um, I think one thing that's really important is, you know, when you talk about some of the things we've talked about here around value, a value selling framework and putting in the right tools and processes and the right and the right kind of training and the right kind of operational model. One of the things that's really important, I think, is to really embrace it and live and breathe it. I mean, it's not I've seen so many I've had people say to me before of other companies they say, yeah, we put in that value selling thing and didn't really work out well it won't work out unless you literally live and breathe it and own it and and live it daily um and we've we've grown quite big now but all of the leaders in this company absolutely live and breathe it constantly like it's it's not okay and and that's where you start i think you start faltering is when you let things go a little bit off kilter so what when think when you when you attend a deal review and you notice that Half of it's not done properly. And, they, and if you just let that go and you say, oh, well, whatever, you know, try harder next time. What happens is you start to, that that kind of lack of um, um, professionalism and that lack of kind of quality starts to creep in. It's about attention to detail and it's about driving absolute quality. And you have to do that across the entire organization and do it continually. Like never, ever let go of like, constantly searching to drive as much quality in everything you do as possible. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. All right. Um, is there a book, a blog, a newsletter, or a website that you would recommend to the audience? Sure. I mean, a book I love, um, which I've read a number of times, um, and now I've got audible so I can listen to it when I go out on my bike rides. But um, um which I find a much better way of consuming books, by the way. I mean, but a book I love is called Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. Um, and it's about technology adoption. And it's about, you know, you it's about the sort of bell curve that you have of how technology gets adopted and becomes mainstream. And you very often have these situations where you have early adopters and visionaries, and then you end up in the mainstream where you then pick up the laggards and the kind of people that are less uh, not so quick to move. And and I got introduced to this um, by when I was at Autodesk many years ago, we we had a, a, a great 
group of people uh, called the Chasm Group, which is actually Jeffrey Moore's company, come yep. in and actually we were selling location-based services. It was the early stages of location-based services before Google Maps and things. And, um, and it was selling to telcos. And it was really about trying to help them understand the value that you could provide by putting location in their, in their network. And we, you know, and this book became instrumental really as a kind of became a foundation to how we thought about building a go-to-market model and how we thought about building value in the sales process. So I often go back to that as a good frame of reference and, and a good, uh, a, a great read anyway. So that's the one I would recommend. And that's, I think, the the training that so I've actually gone through this as well at a previous company. the The consulting work that the Casa Group provides, I think that the target account methodology or the target accounts, there's that framework that they actually or target market market framework. Like, like they, I think they that actually can't come. They they train you on that piece too. They do. I mean, that's that's how I learned it, and I mean. Yeah. I still tell this story. I was 25, 26 years old, I think I was, and I went over to San Rafael um, to the Autodesk headquarters, and, uh, of course, I was all excited. I got to go to San yep. Francisco and you know, yep. hang out there. <laughs> but I, I was there for two weeks, and we went through this kind of like this hardcore training that was all built around crossing the chasm and built around TAS. And, and I, I often say people, TAS, MedPIC, they're all variations of the same theory. But I, here's what here's what it did to me. I literally remember going home on the plane, and I, and I think I got home and I went for, out for a beer with my dad, and I just said like, I can't believe what I've learned. I mean, there's this like entire science to how you sell and how you build value and how you influence um, and, and build influence during the sales process. And for me, it was a real eye opener. I mean, it transformed my life really in terms of how I thought about business, and um, and that's why I take it so seriously when. You bring young people into the company, and, and you know you're giving them this opportunity. But you're, what you're really doing is, you're you know when they when you're a young person that comes into our company, goes into a sales career, you're really giving them a chance to really transform their life and actually go and actually really start to build a career for themselves. And that's why the training is so important, and and the education is so important. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is great. We always ask people to recommend three other people in B two B tech. Um, who lead go-to-market or data science teams. Oh. Uh, and go-to-market for us is, again, sales, marketing, customer success, and business development. So do you have people that you think we should bring onto the show? Absolutely. And, of course, I'd name all the people in my own company, but you probably want to hear something different to Logic Monitor, so that's okay, because <laughs> um, we have some great ones in our company. But I'll mention three um, people that I respect a lot that, I've, that, I, that I got to know. One is a is a really good old friend who I worked with uh, in my early days at Map Info, and he's a great friend of mine now, and uh, you know families of friends and stuff. And his name's James King, and he's chief revenue officer at a company called um, Identigen PLC, which is a UK b- business. And um, he's a you know I've worked closely with him in, in, over the years, and he's a great guy, and um, and he's just a great leader. I mean, he builds great teams and. Um, very, very thoughtful around the things we've been talking to, about today um, and great personality and, and a real energizing guy. So that's the first one. The second is a guy I got to know through Vista, actually. So um, Vista owned a company called Aptio, uh, which is a great organization. It's a, you know, it's a technology. Uh, yeah, effectively, what they do is they really help people understand the true cost 
and value of IT. Um, and, and, it's a, and it's a great organization that's grown very quickly. And, and a guy's called Larry Blasco. And Larry's been there for many years. And um, we've collaborated a lot over the years. And yeah, he's helped me on various things like searches that we've done and things. And I've tried to help him whenever I could. And as we're talking about today, I remember one of the things he said to me, I was in Singapore with him event not too long, well, before the pandemic. And he said he talks to his sales team about honing your craft. Right, and, and really honing your craft and having to really invest in becoming an expert at the craft that, that, that you work in, which is selling. So Larry would be great to talk to. And the last person is a lady, again, I met through the Vista ecosystem called uh, uh, Caroline uh, Tarpey, who's at a company called Kazoo. Now, many people use Kazoo. We use Kazoo ourselves, and um, it's, a, it's a great product, um, sort of employee experience platform. And um She's um, again, you know, a, a great um, uh, leader that's that's doing great stuff in that organisation, and um, and as 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 um, I've built, I mean, I've only met, met her a few times. It's still early in building a relationship, but she's she's someone that stood out to me as being a real a, a real great go to market leader. Fantastic! And if people wanted to get connected with you after this podcast, what would be the best way for them to do that? You can drop me an email, mark.banfield at logicmonitor.com or hit me up on LinkedIn, however you want. I mean, always happy to talk to anyone, happy to to share anything, happy to learn anything. So anytime. Fantastic. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on this show and educating us and best of luck in your journey. Great. Thanks very much. It was great. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.